JT and Looney Podcast. Episode 100. And we are recording. You were at that great Monday night Raiders-Ravens game in Las Vegas. The first live football game, first live NFL football game in Vegas. Talk about that atmosphere. Well, it might have been the most unique uh, sporting NFL experience I've ever had, other than Super Bowls. You know, I was at wide right. Right. I was at when Brady was down 28 to three to the Falcons. You know, there's been some great events I've been at, but that was just incredible because it was the first game with fans. There was over 60,000 fans in the building. I hosted the pregame show in this common area called the Coors Light Landing with former six-time Pro Bowler Eric Allen. We had Charles Woodson on the set. It took Charles Woodson 20 minutes to get to our set from where he was because to get through the swarms of crowds sat on a stage. The video was unbelievable of that. And then, you know, my son came in, my son flew in from his freshman year at Arizona state, had to get a vaccine to go to the game. No problem. You can't get in the game without a vaccine or a shot the first of two. So he was sitting with my wife. And then right when the game was about to end, I have to do the post-game show. So, oh, nothing. I go into the booth with Brett Musburger. <laughs> and I'm standing behind Musburger for 10 minutes as the game is won. Then, no, they didn't win. Then they take it back. Then there's an interception. Then Lamar Jackson fumbles. Then the Raiders on a jailhouse blitz by Baltimore throws the game-winning touchdown. And it all happened. And I'm watching this, and I said, this is special. I'll never, ever forget that game. It was one of the, you know, Monday Night Football is always a regular season game, right? It's not the Super Bowl. It's a regular season game. That was one of the greatest Monday Night Football endings of all time. And it happened, luckily, when I was in the building. Luckily, in your building and the team that you've worked for since the 90s. uh, With two of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, people are so busy with the shining objects like in the shiny soap operas like Aaron Rodgers. Mm-hmm. Oh, the worst quarterback in the NFL. Not an opinion. <laughs> the facts. As I take a look at my trusty quarterback rating, you know how much I believe in that. Now, at the end of the year, he won't be the worst quarterback in the NFL, but right now he is. And and you got to watch two of my and two of my favorite quarterbacks, two of the quarterbacks I really believe in on Monday Night Football. I couldn't wait to play in that game. And and for the people who forget to mention Derek Carr, how about that football game? It was a good game. Carr was really off <laughs> early in the game. He didn't play well, but in the second half, the third, fourth quarter, and overtime, he was fantastic. Carr was great. And I know you talked to Gruden about it. Raider Nation believes that maybe the defining moment so far of Carr's young career. He's a really good quarterback when the game is on the line in a two-minute drill. He's proven that. But uh, we had a good conversation on the sidelines. He helped me with the first call. Uh, we named it after one of our local restaurants here. We call it Spago. Uh, and he threw a beautiful square in to Brian Edwards against his own defense. He ran up there. He clocked it. And then we threw five verticals. And uh, he made another great tight window throw to Edwards, who really came of age in that drive as well. Um, and we gave Carlson a chance to tee it up. And as I've said before, I think he's as good a kicker as, as there is in football right now. I want to stay with Edwards. You've been talking about him. When Waller got all those targets, which is great because he's the best player, the other guys stepped up when they had to. Renfro down the sidelines. Edwards, which we thought was the game, winning touchdown at one point, and especially Ruggs had a couple big catches. And we have to do a better job getting the other receivers involved early 
But uh, against the Baltimore Ravens, as good and unpredictable as they were on defense, we're going to feature them with our best player. And we were really upset with how we played in the first 10 to 15 plays. Waller had some great looks. We just didn't convert them. But the more people we get involved, the better this offense is. You saw Kenyon Drake. You did see the two young receivers, Ruggs, Edwards, Zay Jones at the end of the game. Uh, Foster Moreau gets no credit on the stat sheet, but a lot of the passes that were complete were because he was doing a great job protecting. Then you get the unfortunate news of the injuries and Denzel Good in the offensive line. Here we go again with Tom Cable. Next man up, fortunately, Tom Cable, one of the best O-line coaches, a former head coach. What are the challenges like now? Well, it's tough. Obviously, we uh, made some changes on the line. The salary cap implications were a big part of it. Uh, but we're missing Richie Incognito, and now we're missing Denzel Good, two guys that we had counted on to be our starters. But it is a credit to Tom Cable, but Mike Mayock, his staff, have done a nice job bringing players in. Jermaine Illuminor comes off the bench and plays 70 snaps winning football for us at right guard. And we just signed Jordan Simmons from the Seattle Seahawks. Lester Cotton, one of our young guards, is going to be ready to go. And they're going to have to step up. They've got no choice. Let's move to the Steelers and what they pose up front. T.J. Watt now, the highest paid player ever at that position. Cam Hayward, they got good players up front. They come at you in waves. What do you see? Hayward, you say Cam Hayward? He's not Cam Hayward. He's an excavator. You ever <laughs> see those big yellow excavators? Uh, number 97, he chews up blockers. He's a, he's a premier defensive lineman in this league. He's, he's a, a guy that, that makes it really hard to run the ball against. Devin Bush, Schobert, their two inside linebackers are very, very good recognizing schemes. And they have guys that can come off the edge with T.J. Watt. Now they've got Melvin Ingram. High Smith is a guy coming into his own. And they have an unorthodox scheme, and the crowd noise will be a problem. So we got our hands full, no doubt. Keith Butler, the defensive coordinator, Dick LeBeau, those principals. Mike Tomlin, who you know well, you just came off the Ravens. They give you two powerhouses in the AFC North. you got to travel on a short week. Let's talk about the philosophy of this coaching staff and what they like to do on defense. Well, it's a 3-4 defense. They got two outside linebackers every year. You can go back in time to Kevin Green and yeah. over and over, you know, Harrison, Harrison, they've had, they've had guys for years at that position. Um, and they've got two more now. They make it hard to run the ball. You can't get the ball outside. They set the edges extremely well. They got big people inside that chew up blocks like Cam Hayward and two very active inside linebackers that are unforgiving. And when you do throw the ball, you got to deal with an arsenal of Pittsburgh Steeler blitzes and those doggone Steeler fans waving those towels. So it's going to be a great week of preparation for us. Our guys are working hard and uh, we can't have any excuses. We've got to go down there and showcase our mental toughness and our preparation. You go up against Lamar Jackson, who's like a video game, and now a future Hall of Famer, and big Ben Roethlisberger. So let's spend some time talking about wanting to keep Lamar in the pocket and now wanting to get Ben outside the pocket, the differences between those two challenges. Well, the offense the Ravens run is exclusive to them. You're never going to see an offense like that. It's geared toward the quarterback running. Um, Pittsburgh has made a living over the years with Roethlisberger extending plays as well. The best thing Big Ben does is compete and finish plays. He makes more unscripted offense than a lot of guys, and he did it last week in Buffalo. So we do want to get him in the pocket, and we want to get him on the ground. He's like an oak tree. He's about 6'6", 260 pounds. Uh, and they do have some good, young, talented receivers that present a problem, and Nigel Harris is a good, young back. 
What I loved about the defense is you punish Lamar Jackson when he tried to run the fumbles. And that's it, the physicality. Can we touch on that? Mad Max, the first AFC defensive player of the week this year. I thought the finishing hits, Nassib, were brutal and hard. And you've been preaching that with Gus Bradley. Finish these plays. Well, we get people to the ball. We play primarily zone coverage. And when you're playing zone, you don't have your eyes just on your guy that you're covering. You can have vision and see the quarterback take off. And when he takes off, you take off. Darius Phylon, who was out of football last year, had two or three hustle plays. And Gakwe, before he came out of the game, had a couple great sideline-to-sideline finishes. Perryman had 10 tackles. K.J. Wright had a great hit in the open yeah. field. So we got some newcomers involved. Casey Hayward had a big open field tackle. Uh, it was a great start. But no time to celebrate. Pittsburgh is uh, waiting, and they're a great challenge as well. Let's wrap it up with the rivalry. Take me back. You're a kid. You're watching TV with your brother, your dad. You're watching the Steelers and the Raiders. <laughs> Initially, not in the same division, in the same conference. It's one of the best rivalries in all of sports. It's like the Celtics-Lakers. Yeah. And every year, you, you don't care who's playing in the regular season. You know, those two teams, the Miami Dolphins, are going to be there in the AFC uh, until the end. And when you look at the Hall of Famers that played on both of these teams, I mean, it was Cliff Branch against Mel Blunt, Jack Lambert against Mark Van Egan. You know, it's Kenny Stabler versus Terry Bradshaw. I mean, I have great memories, not just of the Immaculate Reception game, but Lynn Swan going across the middle against George Atkinson and Ed Tatum and vice versa. Uh, Mike Wagner and those guys in Pittsburgh, Donnie Schell, uh, Chuck Knoll, John Madden. You know, you're, you're talking about legacy teams and, and to be a part of that thing is, is really exciting. And the first time you were in that rivalry, first time with the Raiders and now, it means something to you. You understand history, your coaches do. This is a big one. It is. And you know what I like, JT, is everybody's changing uniforms. You got the fluorescent <laughs> pants. I watch the Pittsburgh Steelers. I remember the Steelers just like that. And the, the silver and black hasn't changed one bit. When you see these two teams hit the field, it just does uh, force you almost to think about some of the classic games in NFL history. Good luck in Pittsburgh, Coach. Thanks, JT. So the game ends, and I go on literally after one commercial break. Brent Musburger's out. I get his headset. He throws it to me. It really is one of the coolest things in my broadcast life. <laughs> of course. Because Brent, Brent, we have a great relationship, so he always says, oh, man, my guy, JT. Oh, I can't wait to listen to his post-game show on the way home. And it's that voice that's unrecognizable. You know, well, so the, the, voice, the voice from when you were a child watching child. football with your father in Long Island while it was snowing outside. So this is how cool Vegas ah. is with football now. So I start the post-game show. I'm in the 400 section, the press box area in the booth. And I look down, and they have a nightclub. They have a nightclub in the football <laughs> game. And it's amazing. It's called Winfield Club. So the key, the hook to this nightclub is after the game, they don't say, oh, get out, get out, get out, like they do at every freaking football stadium in America. Get the fuck out. Get out. No, here they go. We have a nightclub, and the chain smokers or Little John or someone's performing big. And, you know, it's $50,000 a table, bottle service. So I'm, I'm doing this post-game show, and it's like 30 minutes in. It's a 90-minute post-game show, 45 minutes in. Kirk Morrison jumps in with me. He does a segment with me. And I look down. I go, look at the nightclub. And all of a sudden, you look down at the nightclub. The stadium's completely empty. There isn't anyone there but the nightclub where you see flashing disco lights going off <laughs> and people, like, waving back and forth. And I go, the NFL in 2021, and as you know, uh, to transition out of this game, now every NFL game has 
three out of four commercials are gamble, gamble, gamble. Drew Brees, you can bet on this. Gamble, gamble, yeah. gamble. Hey, young kids, you might not be old enough, but we're going to teach you how to gamble. Every commercial break in the NFL is now gambling, gambling, gambling. And probably when you think about it, the best place to insert a plug for our sponsor, Bet Online, would be right here. A bet online is back better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron. Teams are back to start another football season. Week one was amazing in the NFL. And as always, bet online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. They have a new updated site and interface, more odds, props, and contests. Bet online continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website, bet online. Use your mobile device. Sign up today. Get a 100% welcome bonus. That's double your initial deposit just for signing up. And don't forget the promo code NFL100. Bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. There is so much that has changed in our lifetime from when you and I were little boys watching Brent Musburger on TV. <laughs> the NFL today with Irv Cross and Phyllis George. And that might be one of the biggest things, at least in sports, that has changed. As Remember when they had to talk about gambling in vague terms or in similes and metaphors over the years. And now it's all up front. Hey, there's a lot that's all up front. In America, JT, that wasn't all up front when we were children. People are owning a lot more, and God bless them, than they did when we were kids. It's funny you say that. The other night, we're watching Jimmy Kimmel, my wife and I. We like to watch his monologue. He, he, he was also allowed to take the whole summer off. I don't know if we should do a podcast on, on it alone. He was allowed to take wow. the entire summer off. I know he's got young kids. Oh, he also has older kids. He does. Oh, he has really? older kids. Much older kids, okay. older than mine, but he has younger kids. So he had the whole summer off. So two nights ago, he had Bill Maher on and Bill Maher comes out and he sits down on the couch from Jimmy and they're, they're friends. And the first thing Bill Maher says to Jimmy Kimmel is, thank you for the pot. And <laughs> Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Kimmel got him pot for a gift. And you could tell that Jimmy Kimmel was comfortable, but awkward. And then they started talking about pot and Jimmy Kimmel admits he goes to a pot store. And then Bill Maher was talking about how he used to be afraid to travel with pot. So he would take a bud, just one bud on a trip and he'd put it in a tissue and put it in his pants. Okay. Next to his privates. And he would go there and they're like, look at, look, we can now talk about this on TV. We can now go to pot stores. We can now carry it. We can do whatever we want. And it was like Al Michaels four or five years ago. He's calling games for Sunday night football and the game goes over the total and he gives you a little hint. Well, for some, they're going to be happy <laughs> over the moon tonight. And now every commercial is FanDuel, DraftKings, all win bet, Jamie Foxx with MGM bet. And it's changing the way we even watch television. And we'd like to thank our sponsor of the JT and Looney podcast, Bet Online. Check it out. Matter of fact, when you go on Bet Online, JT, they give you. Uh, you know, if you put down $100 in your first deposit, they give you $100. It's amazing. Just for being friends with the JT and Looney podcast. Pretty cool. Uh, it's, it's so much has. And that and that is one of the things that if you, I mean, that's the back to the future. When I was a little boy, go back in the hot tub time machine to Notre Dame High School. They showed us 
I always joke people on elevators, et cetera, about this. If a woman has purple hair or green hair, uh, I always tell them the story. And, you know, unlike you, I talk to people in elevators. I talk to my waiter at the restaurant. <laughs> That's me. Unlike, unlike me. <laughs> and so I, uh, uh, the, they, sh- they had us every year watch this movie called Future Shock. At Notre Dame High School, which we had a, kind of a very liberal when it came to sex education and futuristic stuff. We had a Jesuit background at our, at our high school. And it had, like, women would get out of an elevator with green and purple hair. And you went to a wedding ceremony, and when the couple turned around, it was two boys. Right? <laughs> and everything they warned us about in Future Shock is now our life. <laughs> JT, it's a, and oh, now it's just ho-hum. As a matter of fact, that's what it is. But it, And so I will tell you know, the beautiful women with the green and the purple hair in the elevator, that story. And it's been interesting to but you know part of it is and that's kind of a european thing i know a lot of people are afraid of but about living life as it is and having your laws reflect life as it is rather than some ideal of how it should be and in many in that way i think it gives also law enforcement a lot more time to bother people over over bother bad people Rather than good people who might want to smoke something or walk down the street holding, you know, Adam and Steve who want to walk down the street holding hands. One other thing I want to add to that Monday night game. So I got to work on Tuesday. Got to do a local radio show, then a national radio show. And my day is all based around taping interviews and being on time. Right. Because the radio show doesn't start if I'm not there. I can't push it back and say I want to sleep in. So that night I finished the post game show and my wife is at the game and she waits for me. And we get a ride and we go back to the strip where I have two of my friends in town, two of my really good friends visiting. And I got my backpack with my computer and I walk into the Cosmopolitan Hotel and I look down at my phone and my mentor in life, former Redskins president, Bruce Allen, who was really left the Washington football team in a bad place. The fans wanted him out. It did not end good. And he's a mentor to mine. He hired me with the Raiders. He's one of the closest people I've always had his back. Yep. I love the guy. I mean, again, I could care less about all of his business, which is is someone who just put me in a position where he's changed my life. So he he was there and we went, we went into a speakeasy. We went into a place called the barbershop. It's a real barbershop with barbershop chairs. Got to have like a code. And then they let you in, and then the barbershop door opens, and you're in this nightclub. Oh, we got one of those in my neighborhood. It's great. Right. It was fantastic Vegas style. So you would have loved this moment. One of my buddies hugs me. Bruce hugs me. The founder of Hooters is there. The founder, the guy who came up with Hooters. Wow. Great guy. And a whole bunch of other friends, they got a table. And I take my backpack, and I give it to this woman. I go, I got my computer here. Can you put it in a safe spot? She goes, oh, yeah, no problem. And I look at my wife, and I go, I'm going to go big. And my wife pauses and she looks at me and she goes, you should. All your friends are here and you had a great win. And you worked hard today. And we had a great time after the game because Vegas doesn't close. If it was L.A., they'd say, oh, go get quickly, go to Inglewood or quickly get in the car and go to there. And everything would have closed at 145 in Vegas. We walked out of the speakeasy like 3.30. Oh, great. We got an Uber. There were people coming Ah. in and out of the casino. We came home. It was late. And this is the hook to the story. We're going to bed, and my wife says, you got to watch this Eli Manning, Peyton Manning telecast of the game that everybody's talking about. She DVR'd it, and we watched it. 
And I'm not a big fan of a lot of new media. A lot of the debate right. shows suck. A lot of people doing new shows, it sucks. It's just filler. ESPN's never had more filler. And they can't, Fox News has never had more filler than their lives. I turned this thing on and watched it for 20 minutes. I couldn't turn it off. I stayed up for an hour. Eli and Peyton had Russell Wilson, Ray Lewis, Charles Barkley, on it as they were calling the game. Did you see this? It was brilliant. It was. And I, you know how I love when any time in media, and that's why I loved Tony Romo, any broadcaster or any broadcast entity can put a quarter turn on the mundane. Oh, let's, right. let's take something that we've done. That's always, and that's, as you know, that's what I always try to, to do with my updates uh, and with, with the radio, you know, with the radio show. Don't do it the same way. Everyone else does it. I can't do that. It's not the way I'm wired with my DNA and I'm attracted to any type of entertainment where they can take something that's been done a thousand times and do it in a different way. And that's why I liked it. That's why I like Romo. That's why I liked that show. This is how Sports Illustrated talked about it. They told inside stories. They busted each other's chops. They gave viewers some outstanding insight on a variety of topics. For example, Peyton and Eli made it clear there's no such thing as halftime adjustments. It's just a myth. Great stuff. They especially shined in the fourth quarter and overtime when they were joined by Russell Wilson. They dished out strategy while also sounding like regular fans who couldn't believe all the crazy things that were happening on the field. There were some oddities along the way. Both guys were openly, openly rooting for both teams, which was amusing yet weird, confusing to hear during the game. But the cutaways to commercials were jarring with both guys getting cut off throughout the night. But that can be fixed. Everybody loved it. I think it's the future way. You want to watch the real game. But to have this going on your second and third TV is brilliant. I always like second and third alternatives. There's been a couple of times over the years, and this was this was so long ago, and I can't believe they don't do it more often with NBA games. That standard NBA camera that's halfway up the effing bleachers that they have used since the 50s, where no matter how well you know the NBA, you still can't see who's playing because the camera angles too far away, even if you have a big TV. And... Fox Sports 1 and Fox Sports 2 back when they existed, or it was Fox Sports West and Fox Sports Net, whatever it was. They had a Laker game one night, and you could watch one feed or the other. The other one was where all these guys were standing with cameras like they do on the apron at heavyweight championship fights. Standing on the floor, it was a 10 times better way to watch an NBA game when the camera guys are standing on the floor like they do on the ring of an apron at a championship fight. And I agree that they should try. They, they television has to try more ways to bring us sports and talk shows too. JT, I've said that over the years, where you've got monologue, desk, couch, band, come out, tell jokes, sit down, interview guests, throw to the band, go to commercial. Can anyone do? Or you have the Oprah style, you know, an Oprah, Phil Donahue, Jenny Jones style, where you run around with the microphone. And, uh, and Jeffrey Springer find different ways to do the same thing and we'll be much more entertained. And that was a great example of it. It was, it was tremendous programming. So I want to see more and more of that as we go forward choose uh, on Wednesday that we're broadcasting and we're producing this podcast on Thursday night after the Washington football team. Yes. They still need more time to come up with a new name. <laughs> they're just doing They're doing that to bust balls and yeah, you know it. Yeah, they just doing that. Uh, won the wildest game ever. We talked about Monday night, the Raiders Thursday night. 
the Giants win the game and they jump off sides on the game missed field goal. Washington misses the field goal to lose the game. Giant jumps off sides. <laughs> a giant in the middle of the line, a big heavy guy who's trying to get down for whatever reason jumps off sides. Kicker kicks again, makes the kick. It really is, I said on the radio, it was a Mount Rushmore all-time Giants loss. And that says a lot regular season. They had the Pisarchik fumble, the miracle at the Meadowlands, <laughs> the, Deshaun yeah. Jack- the Deshaun Jackson punt return. You remember that with the Eagles? This oh, one's yeah. right up yeah. there. So it just goes to show you how entertaining the NFL is. So last week on our podcast, which we do every year, our Super Bowl preview, I picked Buffalo to beat Green Bay in the Super Bowl. Both teams lost. Oh, nothing. Aaron Rodgers had the absolute worst game of his career, the biggest beatdown of his entire career. And Buffalo was swimming along easily against Pittsburgh, up 10 nothing at home, taking selfies in the end zone. Pittsburgh and Mike Tomlin made adjustments. They blew out Buffalo in the second half, destroyed them, and both the teams I picked to go to the Super Bowl lost. Yeah, I think Buffalo has more promise than Green Bay. And I think all... Oh, Ooh, absolutely, because really? Buffalo Bills won in every statistical category in that game. The Steelers blocked a punt, and it changed the game. And the Steelers, and also when you take a look at those two franchises, if you're going to pick one over the other, and I say this with a lot of regret, but you know, there's never any surprise, ever any surprise, when the Pittsburgh Steelers win a football game. The surprise yeah. is when the Buffalo Bills win a goddamn football game. I don't matter who's... <laughs> Uh, and when it comes to the Green Bay Packers, uh, I would like to take this moment to congratulate myself. What did I say last week? You know, when I was talking about the, the difference you're going to see when you've got a genius like Sean Payton, coach of the New Orleans Saints, and you've got a talent like Jameis Winston behind center who is willing to be a mature adult. And it, it took him some time to become a mature adult. Why? Because he wasn't because he was so young. And he did last year, and he just watched and listened and took the backup role and didn't have to be the center of attention, which he loves. Took the, took the back seat and learned. How did he do in Sean Payton's system? The numbers weren't overwhelming except for the fact for the five. Other than the five touchdown passes, the numbers weren't all that overwhelming. But he wasn't throwing stupid interceptions. He was... And just throwing it into the ground or uh, throwing touchdown passes. How do you look? Well, look, when you look at how everybody looked in these games, Baker Mayfield had a big lead yeah. at Kansas City. Buy a lottery what ticket. What a game. Buy so a lottery man. ticket. You're winning big in Kansas City. Oh, and what happens again? Kansas City comes back. A couple of years ago, Houston in the playoffs, what were they up? 24 nothing, 21 nothing. All of a sudden, Kansas City comes back. I'm more amazed at how Kansas City comes back than we should be more amazed at how they get beat so badly in these games. They get beat by, you know, two scores and they have to come back so dramatically. Why don't they just beat teams 41, nothing? Why aren't they just destroying teams 37 to seven? Why do they let teams go run away and hide? And then they have to come back with Mahomes on a white horse, leading the team with three touchdowns late. That fascinates me. Well, as a football expert, I need to say they need to fix that JT. <laughs> Because you cannot survive on that forever because sooner or later your quarterback can't do it or he gets hurt doing it uh, because you've got to, you know, we saw that so many years with how many teams. And Phillip Rivers and the San Diego Chargers, you know, he, he was able to prop up his numbers. His, you know, a lot of people want to give him, you know, put him in the Hall of Fame. No, he doesn't deserve the Hall of Fame. His team was behind so often in that fashion 
that he had to chuck the ball 50 times and build up those fake numbers and try to bring in his team from behind, usually with a hole he dug. A lot of times with the Kansas City Chiefs, though, it's not a hole that Patrick Mahomes is putting them in. 2,000 people died of COVID yesterday on Wednesday. 2,000 died in a day. So I put it out on a tweet because it's important. I'm trying to document where I am in my life. I'm not politically triggered. Just 2,000 people died. That means yeah. all 2,000 of those people have relatives and friends. You, you do the multiplication on just one day, let alone the entire pandemic. And I call it my asshole net. It's my asshole net. It's a net that I throw out to assholes. So I throw it out on Twitter, and then I look at the responses at JT the Brick, and it's just sickening. It's sickening for the people to come in and argue. They just argue. They don't agree. They put up their own stats. They don't care about life and death. What they want to do is they want to debate politics. They just don't go, man, you know, 2,000 people died in one day. 9-11 type numbers. What a shame, man. Maybe we should take this more seriously. JT's not saying wear a mask. JT's not saying he does this. It's my asshole net. It gets people to come into my store and prove how ignorant, how selfish, how disgusting they are because they still want to fight this. They still want to argue, Tom, from the day we started this podcast a couple of years ago when we're documenting COVID. These people, a small group of them, still want to fight that it's not real, it's not happening, and it's no big deal. Don't they have friends? I don't think so. Don't they have relatives? Uh, I, I don't understand what rock they live under in terms of people dying in their life. My friend Jimmy, who I've known since seventh grade, and you and I are both two people who when we say my best friend, it could be any one of six or seven people. And if we named our six or seven best friends, the only problem you and I would have was we would be insulting number eight, nine, or 10. And Jimmy's one of my best friends that I've known since seventh grade. And he died from some COVID complications on uh, Monday afternoon. I will say, unlike so many, Jimmy, who uh, uh, I don't think was vaccinated, uh, he wasn't on a ventilator. The last person who saw him was his neighbor and Jimmy was smoking a Marlboro red. So instead of being, and that's just so Jimmy, but don't these people, uh, back to my point, have friends. Haven't they gone through that? They just must not have gone through the heartbreak of it, knowing that it's real and it's not, uh, it's not a political football. It's a virus. And it's, uh, it's killing mostly uh, older people or people with pre-existing conditions. And my friend Jimmy had had some strokes and, and cancer at a young age and it was a walking pre-existing condition. And I, I think what also happens is people think that they don't know people with pre-existing conditions, maybe because you can't see those or touch those. It's all of that goes into the asshole soup that you're trying to uh, cook up there in the Twitter store. Yeah, it's just a shame that people just can't, you know, I, I didn't have to tweet that. You know, that's what really it comes down to. I didn't have to tweet that. Well, yeah, but I watched the evening news it, and I it's see all that you tweeted. Up. I mean, it's, it's, oh. too, yeah, it's, it's just it's incredible that people just want to fight on issues. And it's just a shame because if you if you follow this in the way we've covered it on this podcast, 
all we do is we mostly talk sports. We talk entertainment. We talk about life. We're about to talk about the Gavin Newsom non-recall. All the other <laughs> things we talk about. I just want to throw out the numbers because I want to have something to document. Podcasts are only good if you can go back and listen to them down the road and say, man, I remember that first podcast JT and Looney did, and there was only 1,900 people who died or, or 41,000 of God-willing American souls died. Well, they weren't 41,000 dead. Some had a cold. Some got in a car. You believe anything. It's like, no, 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 man. We're keeping track of this. People are still dying at an alarming rate. 2,000 people on Wednesday of this week, and people still don't want to get vaccinated. And people keeping track of it. don't want to wear a mask. And, and here's my big not hot button. My newest hot button is the people who won't get vaccinated and are going out of their way not to wear a mask. Because in Vegas, we have that with casinos. You got to wear a mask, even if you're vaccinated or you can't go to the football game unless you're vaccinated. There are people who are going into stores and restaurants and doing all that non-vaccinated and not wearing a mask because they're that triggered. They have no respect for life. They have no respect for the sick and no respect for the people who passed away. Those are the people that bother me. And and people's grandmothers and grandfathers, because yeah, it really grabs on to, to old people more than more than anybody else, although it's not as much anymore because they're vaccinated. Now it's even getting young people. And it's it's one of those things where you wonder, like, as I mentioned about people with friends, but on the other hand, we do have the numbers are going down in general. And when you tweet that out, you do get to see that you know, sooner or later, every person will end up knowing somebody. And then it's not an abstract. The problem so often with any issue is when it's an abstract, you know, when people want to ship out all the immigrants. But you know, those of us who have immigrants who are friends and relatives or and neighbors, uh, it's not an abstract. It's another human being. We know them and their wife and their children. And it's not an abstract. And I used to joke about, you know, you know, firing all the cops in America and rehiring them, except for Ian Hamilton in Hornell, New York. That's my one of my best friend's sons. And for Isaac Alvarado, he's a sheriff in San Diego, because that's a very good friend's brother. And Jeff Hamilton, grubber the prison guard. I mean, I mean, uh, Jeff Grableski, grubber the prison guard. That's his brother. And I do that tongue in cheek to show out all politics is local. And uh, whenever you just scream out things in an abstract, it's easy to do that. But when COVID comes home to you, then you'll relax about it. The people who are who are tweeting at you saying vulgar things because because all you put out was that 2000 people died from COVID today. It's an abstract to them and they'll cool down. Unfortunately, when they have a friend like I do, Jimmy Carnegie, rest in peace, who, who uh, got COVID and died. Yeah, it's a shame. I got uh, one of my good friends in the black holes on a ventilator. He's been on a ventilator for a while. I get updates every day, multiple times from his wife and on a group text with a lot of people and we're all praying really hard uh back to the non-recall my wife reminded me that i was a part of a recall in california i was so happy to remember that i was part uh, of the gray davis oh, recall you? with with the governor and i was like man my wife is so smart to remind me so i bring something to this conversation i was a part i guess of a successful recall <laughs> in <laughs> southern california yes. california how did i forget that 
Yeah, and it was interesting too because all sorts. The only political people Schwarzenegger knew were all the Kennedys. So they we, we had a Republican governor. It was all the Kennedys running California after Schwarzenegger uh, was elected. And well, you know, I I spoke of you a lot in the last couple of weeks as this came up because in two thousand four I went to San Francisco on vacation. And I was like doing what every good you know tourist does in San Francisco. I was watching cable access television <laughs> in my room, and, uh, go, and Mayor Newsom at the time, I had no idea who he was, but I love politics, political science major in college. And he's is it Alderman that they have in San Francisco? Who is it? Councilman? Is it Alderman? He's going through the room, talking to each person from each district, and he knew everything about every district and every detail and i said this is one of the most talented politicians i've ever seen i gotta call jt he used to live here i said jt who's this mayor and even though you politically are not on the same team as gavin newsom you agree with me oh yeah that is one talented politician you told me all about because you've always been fair and balanced and i've told people that story about how you agreed with me about the talent of this guy so i've always had my eye on him and I thought of the recall, and I think I got I got most of this right. I said, because remember, they brought this up before the pandemic and they couldn't get enough signatures. Then the pandemic came and a judge said, OK, well, that's not fair that the pandemic came along. Take your time. <laughs> and so they eventually came up with the signatures. And but I thought this is probably just to drive his negatives up nationally in case because this is a guy who potentially could be a national figure. Oh, absolutely. This is the first time I met Gavin Newsom. I met him multiple times in Oakland on the sideline of Raider game. He walks up to you and you feel like you're in the presence of a president or a politician. He works the room that way. I never thought for a second he was going to get recalled. I don't believe in his politics. I don't believe in a lot of it, but he has that political look, that political vibe, and it became national. And he can do it teleprompter free. You know, that he's uh, over the course of the pandemic, a lot of times he was reading off the teleprompter and it bothered me because he was so robotic, because after he won the recall, he gave a teleprompter free speech. And that's where you can really see his mind working and the the Stephen A. Smith type of talent when it comes to syntax and uh, and and, uh, editorial order of what's coming out of his brain. And so. I thought, okay, this recall is just to drive up a potential national candidate's negative. So if he ever wants to run for president, they can say, oh, they didn't like him in his own state. They tried to recall him. I think what may have not worked in the favor, the recall people's favor is anybody who saw that speech. All of a sudden he became a national figure in a positive light, quite possibly after he gave that speech. So that was a whole fact, but it was still a tactic that was brilliant and it may not have worked, but you are right. He was, he's far too skilled and he's got great, and he's a Jesuit. That's a, he's a Catholic boy like you and me, JT. Although well, he was, he's divorced from Kimberly Guilfoyle. Oh, I know. Went on, <laughs> went on to Donald Trump Jr. So uh, yes, personal life divorce confusing. train wreck. Yeah, that should be very confusing. <laughs> a, a, if you married Kimberly Guilfoyle, and B, if she's dating Both Donald Trump Jr., and then C, you're still tied to that. Uh, that doesn't get you political points with me. Oh, that's no. like that's like Travis Barker running for governor after he's dating Courtney Kardashian, and I'm like, Courtney, you were the sane one out of everyone, and now you're dating the drummer, from whatever the band is with all the tattoos. What happened? I know that is one of the most confusing. Oh, my God. 
Oh, and we've got breaking news. Our podcast, the JT and Looney podcast, partnering with PlayActionPools.com this season to bring home some interactive fun to the sport we love most. You'll be able to get in on the action at the PlayActionPools.com football pick'em challenge, which is open to everybody. And here's how it works. You sign up for our contest, Believe Football Pick'em, B-L-E-A-V, Football Pick'em, at PlayActionPools.com. Get your picks in each week. We're going to select the 10 highest profile games of the week between the NFL and college football. And whomever gets the most picks correct each week is going to win a pair of electric sunglasses and a pair of DC shoes. Okay, you got to go to PlayActionPools.com and sign up uh, for the contest. Believe, B-L-E-A-V, football pick them. And if you plan on hosting your own football contest, go to PlayActionPools.com today. They've got Survivor, uh, pick them as well, and a cool sportsbook-style concept called Build Your Bankroll. It's pretty cool. PlayActionPools.com, your new home for all your office sports pools. Every time I watch Keeping Up with the Kardashians, because I walked by it, it would be on my house, with my sons or someone watching it, I'd walk by it and be on. And Chloe was, you know, married to Lamar or dating an NBA player, and Kim was with Kanye. I always would say, man, Courtney's pretty cool. She's looking good. She's over there laid out by the pool. She's got that loser, Scott Disick, who's just a loser, but she got rid of him, and she won't take him back. I'm like... Man, she's like the pride of this family. And someday, uh, a knight in shining armor is going to come some great athlete or some famous politician and go, man, I'm going to pluck you away from Chris Jenner and Caitlin and all of these NBA and rappers that are hanging out by the pool and take you away and marry you. And now she's with uh, Travis Barker. Yeah, and, and getting caught in public, it's seemingly on purpose making out in public like she's, and, and God bless her, like she's in her 20s, you know, because you and I can't knock anybody who likes to pretend that they're in their 20s <laughs> or the hypocrite bell will go off. That's what I was like after that Monday night game. Till yeah, in exactly. The morning, <laughs> pretending like I was 25 years old. But the one thing about California and Newsom and all that, I lived in California for 20 years, 20 and I've lived out West longer than I lived in New York, which is really tough to come to grips with. Uh, I'm fascinated with California politics because Newsom, I don't believe is worthy of keeping that job, but there's no one sane enough to take him from that job. Right. When you have people running and, and it's just a mockery of people running in the recall election and Larry Elder, I don't have much to say about him either way, but the thing with Newsom is if you're going to remain in California and he's going to be the governor for a long time, your taxes are going to go up or they're going to remain up high. Um, there's going to be a lot of issues. I'm into addressing climate change. I'm living in it. My right. kids are going to live in it. So I don't have a problem with that. But I just think living under Gavin Newsom's rule in California is going to continue to make living in California very difficult financially, very difficult for people to get ahead. Ooh with their disposable income and their income after taxes. That concerns me. And don't you think that that would be the way it was if anybody was governor right now? I, I, the, the, the tough thing about Al, I know a doctor who makes good money, who has who rents out his pool house so can bring out, you know, who can bring down the price of his mortgage. Everything in L.A. is so expensive when doctors are renting out their pool house. Uh, then, you know, things are way too expensive and, and rent is so expensive and no responsible, you know, college educated 25 year old or 30 year old. And we worked with a lot of them at Fox, Fox Sports sure. Radio. They, they all lived together. 
No one had an apartment on their own because they couldn't afford an apartment on their own. And so that is rental prices, housing prices. And when houses can only be purchased by somebody who already has three, and then they have to jack up the price of any rent or mortgage in order that so they can, you know, so they don't lose money, then nobody can afford to rent or live. And I don't know if that comes down, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, yeah. the, the buck stocks with any governor when that's an, a problem in a state or a city well, the, like mine. Well, the interesting thing about California, anybody who's owned real estate for over 30, 40, 50, 80 years, you know, generational. Right. It made so much money in real estate. And if you have your trust set up correctly and if you're able to pass down money from family member to family member, a lot of people in California are going to be able to survive, survive on their inheritance of real estate and trying to keep that real oh. estate. If they could figure it out and they could figure it out, you got to really it's very complicated especially with prop this prop that tax right. probate and all that. But a lot of people have made millions of dollars in generational wealth because their parents and grandparents bought real estate and they passed it down. Most people don't. There are a lot of homeless people, people that are broke, people that are fighting, as you said, to rent their first apartment and they don't even have enough money to buy a home. They won't have money 10, 20 years ago to buy oh, a home yeah. in California and, at this rate. Or just not thinking about it. But, you know, okay, that's okay. Go to Europe and have a good time. You know what's fast, fascinating to me about the – maybe it was part COVID, part recall because I'm a political realist, is a lot of times, two or three times a week, three or four times a week, you know I'm getting in my 10,000 steps, whether I'm running during the cool weather or walking when it's you know 95 degrees. And one of my routes is down the Arroyo Seco River, where there used to be probably a hundred homeless people living in different places and tents, and now there's about three. And over the course of the past six or eight months, you know, there were social workers constantly, and they were getting them places in micro homes and setting up stuff, and and old hotels that were run down and uh, or going out of business, you know, filling them up with homeless people and building a new a wing on some hotels and motels uh, property. And I thought, well, why did it take a pandemic or a recall to get politicians off their ass to do something about our homeless problem? You know, they wanted to get, make sure that any of them were veterans, were getting the proper benefits and housing. And, you know, and I guess maybe that's human nature. People wait till they have a sore tooth before they go to the dentist. And we waited till we had a pandemic or a recall or both before we got homeless people out of tents and into apartments or motels. And I think we have to start trying to do more things like that proactively, just like even like you mentioned with climate change, then wait until it's 130 and our tires are melting in our cars before we do something about climate change or homeless people. Well, I think the biggest takeaway of all is you can have expensive meal at French laundry without a mask on and not get recalled. Oh yes. And that was, and that was one of those things where it was un, indefensible. He didn't do, you know, the, the recall started long before that, but, but since it was, and it might be going, I'm so surprised that that I'm saying, I'm surprised. I'm surprised it happened because it was him. I'm not surprised the politicians said do one thing and then did another. Uh, that's not surprising, but that was the toughest that was it bothers me anytime people because i like him i think he's so talented 
And I've always liked politicians more than policy, as you know. I'm fast. And so you're, you're a lot like that because we're people, people. I'm fascinated with people who have the balls and ovaries to run for office. I like them. Uh, it's never a choice between the lesser of two evils. If any politician is evil, then we are. They come from our culture. We nominate them. We elect them. So I just think that's a lame cliche. So I'm always fascinated by people who run for office. And I've always been fascinated by him. But I won't defend the indefensible, and neither will you. I, that's, that's one of those things where even though I like the guy and I voted against the recall, I'm not going to defend that. That's preposterous. Well, hopefully someday we'll all get a chance to vote for Tom Looney and share the Tom Looney podcast. It's the JT and Looney podcast. Download and share. Whoa. <laughs> wow. You made it through 48 minutes and 11 seconds of the JT and Looney podcast. Thank you for listening. Want to remind you, we are powered by Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Thank you. Have a nice day. All right. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.